guys, welcome or welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host Jade, and thank you so much for listening, it means the absolute planet Earth to me. Today's case is about Dana Sue Gray, who murdered elderly women in order to fund her shopping sprees. So let's get started. Dana was born on December 6, 1957 in Southern California to her parents Beverly and Russell Armbrust. Her father, Russell, worked as a hairdresser and was married three times before Beverly. Beverly was a former beauty queen and an aspiring actress. She got the eye of MGM Studios, but it pretty much went nowhere. To her, she thought because she had come in contact with such a big company, in her mind she thought that she was above everyone else, that she can do whatever she wants, and it gave her this sense of entitlement, basically. Beverly was described as outgoing and was always seeking attention from other people. She had two sons from her previous relationship, and after she got married to Russell, they tried several times to have children together, but they miscarried each time. And then they had Dana. So they finally felt like their family was complete. They had two older sons, and now they had a little girl, so it felt complete to them. A year into Dana's life, Beverly started taking and maxing out all of her husband's credit cards and creating a load of debt. That became a problem in their marriage, and one day he came home and Beverly was in a fight with an elderly woman who was one of their neighbors, and he said that that was a breaking point for him and that the marriage was over. When Dana was two years old, she was living with her mother. She never really saw her dad that much. From a young age, Dana always felt like she wasn't getting the attention that she should get. Her older brothers were in jobs, and they were pretty much in into acting, just like their mom. And the attention was on them, and Dana felt like Beverly was giving her sons more attention than Dana herself. You know, Beverly was an aspiring actress, and now that her sons were in that part, you know, she was she was going to be like a momager and she was going to give them all her time and attention. One of the brothers landed a skydiving commercial gig and the other one was in a band and booked a gig at Disneyland. Dana tried to get her mother's attention by using one of her brother's guitars and playing a concert in the driveway and realized still that she wasn't getting the same praise as her brother's, so she started being rebellious. She would crawl into her brother's bed when he was away and pee in the bed, and it wasn't just like a one-time thing. It went on for a couple of years, and her brother got so sick and tired of her trying to get attention that he went to go live with one of his great aunts. She also went into her mom's closet, took out one of her favorite dresses, and cut it up. She and some of the neighborhood kids would take the neighborhood animals and catapult them into the backyard pool. She was... she is the devil. She literally is. (laughs) Beverly started to realize, you know, maybe I should give my daughter some attention as well. You know, she would be maternal towards Dana, but Dana now started to take it as her being authoritative, trying to tell her what to do, and she didn't like it. Dana pretty much had a problem with authoritative figures. People said that she was a really, really smart girl, but her downfall was 
pretty much that she didn't respect her teachers. She was always going back and forth with them, always trying to pick a fight. When Dana was a preteen, her mother would date and see different men, and Dana would oftentimes walk into the backyard and see her mom and some men she brought over naked in the pool. And she would sometimes walk in on her mom and some random man again just doing grown people's stuff. She was 12. Beverly had people that would live in the house in order to split the rent with them. She got really into Scientology and spent all of her money on that. So they were in a financial situation. One of the people that was staying with them, he stayed in a trailer that was, you know, part of the house, and he took advantage of Dana when... When Dana was 14 years old, her mother died of breast cancer, and at this time, they did have a much better relationship. She was always at the hospital taking care of her mother and just being there for her. After Beverly passes away, she goes and lives with her dad, his new wife, and daughter. And it was another thing for Dana to deal with. Her brother felt sorry for her because the death was really hard on her, and now she was living in an environment that wasn't a really happy place for her. So he decides to take her skydiving just so that she can do something to take her mind off of her current living situation or just life in general. She actually loved skydiving. She thought it was the best thing ever and she loved the adrenaline that you got from it. At 16 years old, she leaves her father's house after her stepmom finds drugs in her room. And because she enjoys skydiving, she does it often and then gets involved with her skydiving instructor named Rob. He's 28 years old and she moves in with him. She graduates high school in 1976 and Rob helps her get into nursing school because she saw the way that the nurses helped her mom when she had breast cancer and kind of wanted to do the same thing as well. She graduated from nursing school in 1981. Her relationship was going good for some time, but she became pregnant and she always wanted to have kids and Rob convinced her to terminate both pregnancies, which scarred her for life and ended the relationship. She then begins a on-again, off-again relationship with Chris Dotson, who was a windsurfer. They did a lot of windsurfing and golf. They took trips to Hawaii to participate in these sporting events. Once that relationship ends, she moves back in with her father, and he is remarried again to a woman named Jerry, and they live in a gated community called Canyon Lake. She becomes a labor and delivery nurse at the Inland Valley Regional Medical Center. In October 1987, she marries a man named Tom Gray at a winery. Tom was a pilot who loved sports as well, and he had a huge crush on Dana when she was in high school, and he pretty much heard that she was, you know, back in town, back in the area, and they started talking again when they saw each other in a grocery store. They both didn't make a lot of money, and they were spending way more than they had, so they got into a lot of debt really, really fast. Dana loved to spend money on just about anything. She was just like her mother in the sense of thinking that she's above other people and deserves everything and deserves like this high uppity rich lifestyle, but didn't 
have the money for that lifestyle, so she would blame everyone except herself for being in debt and not having a certain lifestyle. One of her brothers had just completely wanted nothing to do with her. He had tried multiple times to make their relationship work, but it just wasn't working out. Her other brother had a little bit more patience with her, even though she always treated him poorly as well. They had this huge argument where he was staying with his great aunt and she wasn't 100% there. Like, she had dementia or something along those lines. And she had a will and she had the primary beneficiaries as the two brothers. And when she was in the hospital, Dana would visit her with papers trying to get her to sign, saying that all three of them would be the primary beneficiaries. Again, she thought that she was above everyone else. She thought that she should get all the money because that's just how Dana is. In 1993, she leaves her husband and moves in with her lover, a man named Jim, and he has a son named Jason. A lot of people say that she left her husband for Jim because of the little boy and because she wanted kids so badly, but every time she tried, it would end up in a miscarriage. In June 1993, she files for divorce, but it wasn't finalized until she was arrested. In November 1993, Dana is fired from her job as a nurse because she was caught lying on her patient's charts and saying that she's administering more painkillers than she actually is, and she's taking the extra painkillers for herself. On February 14th, 1994, she calls her ex-husband and she gets a hold of him through his parents, since he didn't want to give Dana his address or his phone number. She tells him that she needs to go and talk to him, and he agrees to go and meet up with her, but his gut feeling is telling him something different, saying, don't go, so he doesn't call her and say, hey, I changed my mind, he just doesn't show up. Dana goes over to Norma Davis's house, who is a 86-year-old woman, and Norma is Jerry's mother, who is married to Dana's father, so they aren't strangers. Dana did have a close relationship with Norma, She moved in with Norma to take care of her, and seeing as Dana was a nurse, you know, it kind of, kind of made sense. On February 16th, 1994, Norma's friend tries to get in contact with her, and then she realized something must be wrong, because it's strange that, you know, she hasn't talked to her in so long. So she goes to check on Norma, and the front door is unlocked. Which wasn't out of the ordinary for Norma because she, if she was expecting someone, she would leave the door unlocked because Norma had hearing problems. She looks around the house and finds Norma in the chair in front of the TV with a knife in her chest and in her neck. The detectives arrive and they start looking around and see that nothing is stolen. Norma has expensive jewelry on and those are still on her. The only evidence that they have is a faint Nike shoe print at the front of the house, and it's a size 6. So they were like, okay, it's either a really small male or it's a female. They find a $148 social security check, and on the first floor of the condo, they find a smear of blood on the armchair and a ripped out phone cord. 
Jerry and her husband go down to her house because, you know, they weren't far. They all lived in that same gated community. And the detectives start talking to Jerry and they notice that she's wearing Nike shoes. And Jerry may have been the last person to see her alive. Jerry says that she got groceries for her mom and she would deliver it to her house and she would always hurry up and unpack them because the TV was turned up so high that you would get a headache from it because Norma is has hearing problems. On February 28th, 1994, Dana is with her boyfriend's son and they end up at a woman's house named June. June is a 66-year-old woman who lives in the gated community of Canyon Lake as well. Dana tells the little boy to stay in the car, that she'll be right back. She goes up to June and asks her if she can borrow a fitness book that she recommended about a year prior when Dana was trying to get pregnant, and she tells her that she's been drinking a lot and she just wants to control her drinking and just look after her body. So June goes inside the house and gets the book, and when Dana sees the book, she's like, oh, no, no, not that book. I know exactly which book it is, you know. I can go inside there, get the book, and then leave. So she asks June if she can go inside the house, and June invites her in. And as she's walking in, Dana is putting on gloves, and she looks for something to kill her with, and she sees a phone and the phone cord. While June bends down looking for the book, Dana wraps the telephone cord around her neck. Dana is struggling with June because June was a very fit woman. So she drags June to a chair and wraps the cord around her neck and then gets on top of June and strangles her with her bare hands. June passes out, but to be sure, Dana takes a wine decanter and beats June with it. Then she goes over to her purse, takes her credit cards, and then she leaves and goes on a shopping spree with her boyfriend's son. They go to a high-end dinner to eat lunch, then they go and get mother-son haircuts. She goes and gets a leather jacket and leather boots. They then go to a jewelry store and get diamond sapphire earrings. Then they get toys and clothes for the boy, and new clothes for her boyfriend and for herself as well. They then go to a grocery store and they just grab a bunch of random things. At this point, it was just, just to spend money. And when her boyfriend sees all this stuff, he's confused as to where she got all this money from. And she says that her ex-husband had given her a credit card just to spend. And of course, her boyfriend is upset because she's still in contact with her ex. And he doesn't believe that they need to be using someone else's money. June's friend heads over to her house because they were all supposed to meet up and play a card game. Her keys are in the golf cart in front of her house, and they take the keys and go inside, and they find her. Once detectives get there, they see similarities to the two crimes. Norma and June knew each other as well. While Dana is out spending every ounce of money, going to lunches, getting massages, getting her nails done, she's stockpiling her house like what people did in the beginning of the pandemic, She's getting toys, and the credit card company is like, wow, suspicious activity. There's so much money being spent. So they send a letter in the mail saying that there's suspicious activity on this card. And June kids gets the mail, and they give it to detectives. 
On March 10th, 1994, Dana goes to an antique store, and 57-year-old Dorinda Hawkins is working by herself. Dana tells her that she's looking for a picture frame to use for her mother that passed away. Dana follows Dorinda, and when she bends down to show her some of the frames, Dana puts a rope around her neck and starts strangling her. Dorinda puts up a fight, and Dana takes $25 out of the register. $25. You can't be that, you can't be that desperate for $25. Like, how broke and evil do you have to be to kill someone for that, or for any amount of money, really? Sometime later, Dorinda wakes up and calls the police and gives them a description, and it was all over the news and in the papers. She was described as a blonde woman with curly hair, about 5'2". Detectives start piecing things together, and the hairdresser says that Dana asked her if she could dye her hair red, and the hairdresser said no, because her hair was too fried from the perm. So Dana left and went somewhere else to get her hair dyed red, and she got the perm cut out, so her hair was red and short. The detectives go over to Jerry's house and ask, does she know anyone that has dyed their hair a different color? And if they have a child or a stepchild and have all these brand new things out of nowhere. But right away, she can't think of anything. Dana then shows up to her house and Jerry sees Dana's new look, but she doesn't think of what the detective told about someone dyeing their hair. You know, it doesn't click right away. They start having a conversation, and Dana mentions that her boyfriend's son started calling her mom, and it starts clicking with Jerry, so when Dana leaves the house, she calls the detectives and say that it sounds a lot like her stepdaughter. You know, she's like, her hair is usually blonde, but it's dyed red, and it's short, which is different, and she just told me that her boyfriend's son started calling her mom, and... The boy's name matches the name on the client sheet from when he was at the hairdresser. The detectives are writing up a report for a search warrant, and they ask if the surveillance team can come together to keep an eye on Dana's house. So it takes the surveillance team probably more than an hour just to get to Dana's house, but no one's home. Dana is out applying for a job, but it isn't successful. And, of course, she feels this sense of entitlement again. She thinks that because she's a nurse, everyone is supposed to hire her, everyone is supposed to want her. And it's like, Dana, sweetie, the world doesn't revolve around you. So she then drives to Sun City, which is approximately 15 minutes away from where she lives. 87-year-old Dora Beebe is leaving a doctor's appointment, and Dana decides to follow her to her house. And when Dora is inside the house, Dana knocks on the door asking for directions. She tells Dana that, you know, she's not really good with directions, but she does have a map. You know, if she wants to come in, she'll get the map for her and she can help her out that way. So Dora invites Dana into the house and she finds a phone cord and strangles Dora with it. She uses her hands to strangle her and then she sees an iron and beats her in the head to the point where the iron is dented. She takes Dora's credit card and checkbook and then goes on another shopping spree. Dana then goes back to her house and the surveillance team see her going back inside the house. 
She leaves again and goes to Sun City. She goes to the bank and withdraws some money, then goes to three different grocery stores, just picking up whatever. And I guess it was to, like, fool the banks because I guess it would alarm the bank that, you know, so much money is being spent from one store, so she breaks it up into three different stores. Dora's companion goes to her house to check on her and he finds her dead so he calls the police and since it's a different jurisdiction the detectives that are on Dana's case don't know about Dora. Dana gets back to her house and 15 minutes after she arrives police show up with a search warrant and they bring them all in for questioning. They start talking to Dana and she has an answer for every single question. She says that she has a pension that she pulls money from. Some of it was money that her aunt gave to her, and some were gifts from her boyfriend. She acts clueless pretty much the entire time, and then she starts to break a little bit after they've been questioning her for hours. She tells them that she saw a man trying to use a credit card, but it wasn't working, and he threw the card away. So she gets the card and tried to see, you know, if the card works, and to her surprise, the card works. So she says that she just goes on a shopping spree to relieve some stress, and she didn't realize that it was June's card. They question her boyfriend, and right away, he's just straight up and honest. He's like, look, I don't know what she's done, but it's none of my business. She has all this new stuff. I don't know where she's getting the money from, but, you know, she's not giving me a direct answer. So whatever you want me to do, whatever you need me to do, I will do it. The detective sees another detective from an another jurisdiction using the investigation room and is quite confused as to, you know, why he's here. So he goes and he asks him. And the detective is like, you know, we just got a call about an elderly woman being murdered. So they go back to question Dana. And she says that earlier in the day, she finds a purse and she used a check from it. And the detectives didn't know, you know, about this part at all. So they ask, whose check was it? And she says, BB something, Betty BB, or something along those lines. They don't really have that name as one of their victims but the other detective goes to the other detective from another jurisdiction and asks what the victim's name is and he says Dora Beebe. So the detective goes back and says the woman you're talking about is dead so it's the second person that is dead and you're using their money. So at this time they had enough evidence to arrest her and they let the son and boyfriend go. Now, in prison, Dana, again, still thinks that she's above everyone else. And when her father calls her, she's complaining about the food, how it makes her throw up, how it hurts her stomach, how it's not good for her, and she can't eat it, and she prefers a plant-based food. Like, girl, shut up. Nobody cares. You're in prison. Suck it up. So it, it finally starts to hit her that, you know, she will probably spend the rest of her life in prison. She can't afford a public defender because she feels like they aren't going to get her off for murder. So she wants her family to pay for a private attorney. She tells her father and stepmom to, you know, sell 
sell Grandma Nora's house and use the money to fund her defense team, as in Norma, as in the first woman she killed. So that just shows that she has no remorse for anything that she did, and she still thinks that the world revolves around her. She pleads not guilty, and then over time tries to change it to an insanity plea, and they say, nope, nope, crazy people don't do that. You're not. Nothing's wrong with you. You're just evil. You have no remorse, and you kill elderly women and take their money and go on a shopping spree. She takes a plea deal and pleads guilty to the assault of Dorinda, the murder of Dora and June, but not Norma because there wasn't enough evidence. She receives a life in prison sentence without the possibility of parole, and she's currently at the California Woman's Prison in Chochilla. And, um, yeah, she'll be there for the rest of her life. And it's so disgusting that these women had to lose their lives because someone wanted money to go on a shopping spree. Why not get a job? Why, why, why be that evil? Why? I don't understand people. Like, people lose their lives because of the craziest things, such as money, such as $25, just so you can go on a shopping spree because you're greedy and you think that the world revolves around you electric chair so yeah i i I can't i lose faith in humanity every single time i research a true crime case but that is the end of today's story i would love to know what you guys think thank you so much for listening stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every thursday you can follow my instagram at criminal curiosity pod where you can see the pictures of the case behind the scenes or just to keep up with what's going on This podcast is available on all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. You can request any case that you have through our Instagram or Gmail, which I will have in the description box below. And please be safe out there. Look out for one another. And until next time, bye everyone.